Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 217 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 16th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We are going to wrap up the USC Spring Game, formerly known as the Trojan Huddle, with uh, Dan Weber coming on the show, our uscfootball.com beat writer, and Coach Harvey Hyde. Both were there, and Coach got to do the uh, pregame and during the game uh analyst uh, being an analyst on espn radio so we get to talk to him about that uh we're gonna have a bunch of questions to get to as well if you have any questions or comments please drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or you can call 206-888-6755 or go right to peristylepodcast.com and leave us a voicemail right on the page you just go to the left side of the page and click on leave us a voicemail you can do it right from your computer and like i mentioned we have coach harvey hyde here in the first segment, we got to pick his brain, what he saw down there at the USC spring game. What's going on, Coach? Brian, how you doing, buddy? It was a great day. It uh, was starting off a, a little cold and windy, and people thought, uh-oh, it's going to rain. rain. And, but i tell you what I loved about it. It did not stop the USC or football fans coming out and watching the scrimmage. i tell you, I thought that was the biggest crowd. When they announced 15-5, I thought it was bigger than that. Yeah. But from where I was sitting, Ryan, it looked like the whole side, the press box side, was filled like game day. It, it really did. And it was great to see the enthusiasm of the coming 2012 season, seeing all the football fans out there and, and wearing their colors and coming in and supporting the team. I know the team looks up at the stands and, and really loves that type of support. And it picks up the game and the recruits see that, that set on the opposite side. All the recruits were in the stands there. It was great to see that, and they got a great commit from the spring game, from the kid from Redland. So how can it be any better than that? But uh, it was a great day, and I think it was a great day because, first of all, it was the final day of spring practice, which you always look forward to as a coach and a player, and no one got hurt. So it was a successful day. We can talk about what they accomplished and this and that because it's been a long spring, Ryan. This spring started in December when really the Trojans finished their football season and won 10 football games. That was something that a lot of people uh, couldn't believe could happen with the sanctions and everything. They won 10 football games, and I said uh, on the pregame show that we did for Saturday, I thought they were at that time probably or could have been the best team in the country. I'd love to have seen them play LSU or Alabama or whomever, on a neutral field. They were playing as good as I've seen a USC team play, and they were really playing well. But they couldn't go to a bowl game, so their bowl game was to watch and also with great anticipation see what would happen with four or five seniors or juniors that had the opportunity of coming out early. Two did come out early, Khalil and Perry. But two huge announcements, co-captains, T.J. McDonald, Matt Barkley say, we're coming back because we have unfinished business. That's where the excitement of the spring started right there and the 2012 football season. didn't start Saturday. It started with that announcement. And through those announcements during the spring, the workouts, the strength conditioning program, spring practice, that's what everybody came to see on Saturday, the 2012 edition of Trojan Football. Great tradition, 11 national championships, six Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, they were there. A lot of, a couple of Heisman Trophy winners were there. Great linemen were there. Players were there from Junior Seau to Munoz to Ronnie Lott to Marcus Allen, all on the sideline like the old days. It was great. So it was a, it's been a, a, a long spring. That's what I'm trying to say. It's been a long spring. And there's really not any off-season because now the kids get ready for finals. They start lifting weights again. They have their summer workouts. 
the coaches immediately go on spring recruiting throughout the country, trying to get their verbal commits done before they get back to fall camp. So the season will be here sooner than you think, especially with fall camp. So it's going to be a huge season. It's going to be a season with a lot of pressure on everybody. Whenever you start number one, like ESPN has put them number one, now all the other polls haven't come out, you got a lot of pressure, and there's only one way to go, and that's down. And then also you have a quarterback, too, that has a lot of pressure because everybody's putting the pressure on him, saying he's the preseason favorite for the Heisman Trophy. So you have all this pressure on these kids to perform and play at a level of what's expected of them. But again, there'll be some games you hope you win ugly. With every game, you can't be ready to play at the same pitch, but you got to be able to play good enough to accomplish your goal. So I said spring practice or the spring really started with the announcements of T.J. McDonald and Matt Barkley. That's when everybody started to get ready and talk about the 2012 football season at USC. And then if that's when spring practice started, it ended on Saturday at the uh, what they used to call the Trojan Huddle, the USC spring game. So I want to ask you about that. But um, before we get into that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets. Looks like Kings playoff tickets might be a hot thing right now. So you can check that out. Give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for anything here in Southern California or anywhere across the country. You can go to sctickets.com and they'll they'll hook you up. And Coach, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Like I, I like what you said about them starting spring ball when those announcements came out. Uh, you know, right, right before Christmas, it kind of got everything going. It ended on Saturday. Maybe get your thoughts on did they, did USC accomplish what they needed to accomplish? What did you think about that? There was a big crowd. Did they perform well and let the crowd get into it? Or you know, what did you think about the whole spring game in general? Well, I think first of all, the, the spring game itself was sort of a little vanilla. What I mean by that is you're not going to show a lot of things. If you notice, SC ran very few plays. They never ran a motion the entire uh, scrimmage. They ran the two tosses, three tosses, the same routes. They didn't want to really do anything that was real complicating or it wasn't game planned. Defense did the same thing. Didn't blitz a lot, just played basic. Uh, they wanted to get through it. Uh, show the Trojans fans that came out and football fans that came out in addition of the new team, let people have a chance to watch some of the rookies, I call them rookies, like Scott Starr and so on, play, become accustomed to the numbers and the teams and the teams and the players. And they didn't do any special teams, which somewhat surprised me, except for the field goals, which I think – Hadari is, is one of the best. Uh, the wind was blowing him right in, blowing right in his face at a really good uh, pace or whatever you want to call it. And he kicked a 47-yard field goal, which was, uh, I think, fantastic. I think he did 15 to 17 last year, and he's off to proving he can have another great year. Gretty punted the entire scrimmage on the sideline and was rolling the ball out of bounds at the four- and five-yard line every time. It was, uh, so it was a successful scrimmage. When you look at it as far as the fan base watching it. Now, you look at a scrimmage and you say, did we get better during the spring? I thought that uh, Matt Barkley, and I might be negative when I say this, I think it showed that he didn't get a lot of practice in the spring. I think it showed that his timing was off. I think it showed that he needed more reps because he hasn't had the reps that were necessary. And I said on the pregame show everybody thought he'd go one series and two or two series and I said absolutely not if I was coaching Matt he'd go 40 50 plays or as many he needed to make sure that he had a good feel coming out of spring practice in the first half he did not have a good feel that's why he came out in the second half and they allowed him to keep playing where he did uh, hit Lee for a nice pass and uh, and uh, he had a better rhythm you can't practice football watching you can't practice the way you get better in football is play football so he he wasn't as sharp as what he wanted to be and he said that in the post-game interviews he says we got a lot of work to do and i think you have to understand you know not be satisfied with just an average performance so i think that the people that know they had a a good scrimmage, know what the people that feel they didn't have a good scrimmage, know what they have to do to get better. And sometimes it's good to have a, a negative effect so you don't think everything's just so cool you don't have to work hard. So I think the defense really got better this spring. 
I think the secondary could be the best group of uh, players in the country at their position. I wouldn't trade it for anybody in the country. The linebackers, I think, are as good or should be as good or better than last year because they were all freshmen last year and they're all sophomore this year. Plus, I love the addition of Sorrell and also Scott Starr. I think he's playing like a sophomore or junior as a freshman. He would still be in high school normally, graduating this June. I really like the way he came in and played with Dawson and so, and, and Tony Burnett has, has moved up now and done a tremendous job at linebackers. So I think the linebackers are in place. The defensive line, I'm waiting for someone to step up and be this, not the leaders, but the stars at the defensive front. It's time for Kennard and Horton to be who they are supposed to be and dominate from the outside and force everything back inside where the big guys inside the tackles can dominate. I think Greg Thompson had a nice spring. Antoine Wood had a nice nice spring. And I think on the defensive side of the football, I would go down it and I would say uh, the MVP of the uh, spring uh, would be uh, on the defensive side, Nikel Roby. I really think he's turned into a great corner. Great corner. And Wiley has really improved. The J.C. transfer has really grown up. The most improved players in the spring on the defensive side, I'd say, would be Anton Woods and Greg Thompson. Townsend, excuse me. The leader, though, on the defensive side of the football, can't give him all the awards, is T.J. McDonald, number seven. Wow, does he fly around? He looks like he should be playing on Sunday, and he would be playing on Sunday if he didn't come back. The rookie on the defensive side, I'm going to give it to Scott Starr. I think he came in and he wasn't intimidated and runs really well, and I think it's going to be a great backup to Lamar Dawson. The group, secondary strong, linebacker strong, defensive line, got to get uh, them going, and they'll be good. So I'd say the defensive side of the football didn't have the injuries or as many. I think they got better. I think the defense got better in the spring. Now, offensively, maybe you want to stop for a moment and ask me another question before I take the whole show. No, go we love it, Coach. That's okay. <laughs> we didn't know this was going to be the uh, Harvey Hyde Award show from spring game, but I like it. That's a great great way to go, so let's keep going. No, i just like to, you know, break it down for everyone. On offense, on the offensive side, I thought they really had an opportunity to uh, bring Matt Wittick and Cody Kessler along. And I think they got better. I thought they both threw the, threw the ball well in the spring game. Uh, I think that they both got better. So you got to give a plus there. They got better. So they didn't have their great receivers, but when they didn't have a lot of their great receivers, that gave an opportunity for other people to improve. The other receivers, such as Flournoy and some of these younger kids, had a chance to get a lot of reps. Blackwell, they became better players. They'll be ready to play. Now, Robert Woods didn't have to prove anything. I think that was the smartest thing they did was hold him out. And we interviewed him during the scrimmage on our show on Saturday. And we asked him, we said, Robert, if this was a real game and it was Hawaii, would you have played today? You know what he said? Absolutely. He says it's not that bad. So I think that's a reinforcement that he's okay. It isn't like it's something that, uh, that is that maybe he won't play in September. He said he would have played for sure, but he didn't need to prove to prove anything. So uh, it was good they held him out. I think that's a smart thing they did. Uh, I mean, he's a great kid. He doesn't need to catch any passes or take a chance on injuring himself. So I think the receivers got better because the younger kids got a lot of ch- turns to get better. The running backs, I think DJ Morgan got better. Curtis McNeil didn't have to prove anything. Buck Allen still has a way to go. Seems as though that hamstring is just bothering him a little bit too much. He looked good on the one run he did, but then he had some hamstring program problems and got out. He need to take care of that and get that ready to go. Uh, I think everyone's looking forward to seeing Pinner. I think everybody's looking forward to seeing Nelson Aguilar. I tell you, he's going to be a great addition to the running back situation. And I don't feel that there's lack of depth at running back. I think D.J. Morgan's a great player. I think Curtis McNeil's a great player. Buck Allen, he's got to step it up and be a player and become a man. And these young players coming in will challenge. Now, the, the area that I really thought 
got a lot of good work. Didn't have a lot of injuries. Holmes, of course, uh, pulled a calf muscle, and he missed a lot. But I think the offensive line got better. They worked together. They had everybody healthy most of the time. And uh, they played a lot as a unit. And the offensive line has to play a lot at the unit, as a unit, and they did. They have looked, it looks as though Andre Walker will be the left tackle. Uh, Kevin Graft had a great spring, but I think they wanted to keep him on the right side, keep everybody playing together there. And Walker came in, and, and he said it himself. I, I watched him very closely in drills, every type of thing he did. I watched him very closely, and he needs to uh, work a little harder, find out what it's about to dominate. And remember, when you play football on the field, you don't like anybody. You're not anybody's friend. And he's got to learn to dominate. He's next to Marcus Martin and between those two on that side and the other side with Martinez and all the other players that's on the offensive line, they should be able to dominate. So Andre Walker needs to learn how to dominate with a frame like that. I mean, own the line of scrimmage. Even if it's your own player, then you come off the field and maybe talk to him. And uh, not trying to be negative on a player. I'm trying to give motivation to a player that uh, to play up to your potential and nobody's your friend. So the offensive line, I think, got better. I really think they got better. Tight ends, I hate to say this, they couldn't do all the things they wanted to do with the tight ends. I know they wanted to develop a three tight end offense and do a lot of things. It was very difficult to do that with all the injuries they had. Uh, I would say they did as much as they could with the tight ends, and they're going to have to spend a lot of time in the fall bringing along some of the uh, formations and routes and running plays and Tefler in the slot and things that people will have a difficult time on defending. So when I look at it overall, I think the offense did the best they could with all the injuries they had. And uh, and I think that in the fall, when it comes back, you're going to see Matt back at the helm. You're going to see Matt getting all the turns because they've got to get Matt back into rhythm, obviously, so he's ready for the season. Offensively, my spring awards, the MVP for the spring, I'm giving to Marquise Lee. Most improved, Devon Flournoy and also Blackwell, both receivers. I think they improved the most on offense. The leaders, Matt Barkley, he was the leader, and also he's the 11th man. You always hear about Texas A&M saying you got the 11th man. Well, USC's 11th man is, or not the 11th man, the 12th man. 12th Excuse man, coach. <laughs> yeah, well, I forgot. I thought they played with 10 now. <laughs> but uh, the 12th man. And the rookie, I'm going to give it to uh, Andre Walker only because he showed uh, that he lost a lot of weight. That takes a lot of discipline to lose as much weight as he lost. And he's now the start at left tackle. Others, uh, of course, uh, on the offensive line, I want to give them all a star. From Graf to Martinez to Markowitz to Holmes. I don't want to miss anybody, but all of them. Martin, Hobie, all of them. They, they came together as a unit. And I, I apologize if I miss somebody. Martinez, uh, I don't want to miss anybody. The top group... In the spring, I'm giving to the offensive line. Uh, so uh, that's my awards for the spring. I like it. It's good stuff, Coach. Uh, well, you mentioned one of the last things you mentioned was tight ends. And uh, Mike, this uh, he's called Seattle Trojan, had a question on the tight ends. He said, I hope that someone will step up at the tight end position and take a little pressure off both Matt and the receiving core. I really believe it's a great opportunity with defenses keying on our receivers and the running game. Are there lots of extra yards to be had? If the defenses had to worry about tight end slipping underneath, in addition, it would be great for this offense. I agree with him. Uh, a lot of, well, the SC's tight ends are not normal tight ends. They're athletes playing tight end. They're not the 6'6", 250-pound, 260-pound blocking type of tight ends. They're adequate, but they're not dominant as far as blocking. They are a combination of receiver and blocking tight end. They cause mis mismatches in the secondary. Telfer is really a large receiver. He runs like a receiver when he catches the ball. 
Grumble catches the ball and gets open. He's got great hands, but he was a great basketball player. Just needs to get coordinated a little bit after he catches the football and become a little bit more physical. Pomey's a great player, great athlete. He'll 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 grow up and he'll get more. He'll get better as he gets more turns. So uh, you know, I'm probably missed Ty Thomas. I I don't know who else I missed, but but they have athletes playing their tight end positions rather than lighter tackles. You look at a lot of offenses and their their tight ends are are tackles that are thinned down a little bit uh, and. Uh, but at SC, they're athletes that can be receivers. You can flank them. You can put them in slots. You can group them. You can run crossing routes with them. They're going to be huge targets. And I think this is what Lane Kiffin is thinking about doing, more or less similar, and I hate to make comparisons with other teams, like New England did last year with their tight ends. Okay, makes sense. And you also mentioned uh, Nelson Aguilar when you were going through the offensive uh uh, uh, players there. Let's. We do have a question on that, so here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is uh, Zach from San Jose. I just had a question for you guys regarding um, Nelson Aguilar. I was just wondering where you guys see him best fitting in at, uh, as the running back, as a slot receiver, as a returner, and uh, where do you guys see him making the most impact at? Um, thank you a lot for your for letting me uh, speak on this podcast and uh, fight on. Well, I, uh, what I've seen of Nelson Aguilar, what I've seen of, of, of him, he's a mostly a, he, he was on video more as a running back, but he's also got great hands. and can be a great receiver, but they threw the ball to him a lot at the running back position. And I think this is something USC can do with the depth, the way it is at USC, this kid, I would start him at, out as a running back and be able to put him in motion and flank him, more or less the type of thing they want to do with George Farmer. He's not as big as Farmer, but he's, I'm not going to say he's not as fast as Farmer, but he's faster than Farmer because Farmer can run. But he's a tremendous athlete, and he's big. He's sort of, to make a comparison, he's sort of a big DeAnthony Thomas to me when I watch him play, or at least in high school. He can really fly, and if he hits the seam, he's gone. He's really a speed guy, really a speed guy with quickness. And I think he'd be absolutely, you know, you break the huddle, no remaining backs, you leave him in as a receiver. I said, you better cover the field, kids, because you really, without a substitution, where they can substitute or watch your defense and say, oh, uh, they're bringing in receivers. No, he can just go out and be a receiver. So, uh uh, I, I think he's got valuable talent. He can be utilized in many ways. I don't know if they plan on using him as, as punt returns. Kickoff returns now are almost eliminated. I mean, you're not going to see any more kickoff returns. Those are those are history. They've taken the excitement of kickoff returns out of the game. I was watching Hadari kick off from the 35-yard line on Saturday. Every single ball went through the end zone. I mean, out of the end zone or into the end zone. And with new, with the new kickoff rule now, you know, when you kick off from the 35 and you're going to get the ball in the 25, if you don't bring it out, you know, you're not going to run the ball out of the end zone. So you can almost say that 80% of the plays next year on kickoff returns won't be there. So I don't know how much of an impact that'll make for a lot of these great kickoff return guys. But I think he's a great player. He's got great talent. He might be able to immediately bring uh, help to the Trojans. But, you know, I don't want to say you want to redshirt guys because guys don't want to hear that. The kids today don't want to hear that when you're a great player. They want to compete. But it's going to be really important that the Trojans keep some young talent, redshirt as many as they can. And I'm not saying he's a redshirt player. He's too good to redshirt. But he may. Who knows? But he's got talent to help and he can step right in there. All right. Thanks for that one. Let's go to, that was, that was Zach. Uh, Marcel has a question. He said he was looking for the USC spring game on TV, but could not find a live telecast. telecast without, excuse me, will that change with the Pac-12 network? I'm fed up watching the SEC get all their airtime for their spring games in the Los Angeles market, and that's from Marcel. 
I think it will change. I think next year you'll see games on uh, spring football on Fox uh, and other networks. Uh, I'm not quite sure all the, all the coaches like it because they don't like people to sit back and watch them. But I think it's something that's going to happen, and uh, this is the way they're going to spread uh, their conference throughout the country, not just in football. You're going to be watching, what does USC have? They have four teams that can win national champ- championships this uh, spring. They're going to be able to show those teams participating on national TV and it's going to bring a lot of credit to the Pac-12, where the Pac-12 really hasn't had that type of exposure that they that they need to have. So, yeah, I think that they will have more of the spring games next year in the spring on television. I think that's coming, and it's part of the TV package that they're all putting together. And I think that was mostly coaches' decisions or the administration decision not to televise. I think – Fox and ESPN, I think a lot of people have wanted to televise USC spring games before, but I think it's more the university's decision than as opposed to no one wanting to put it on. I think you're right, Brian. Um, all right, let's go to Jake. Well, had kind of more of a comment. I don't know if you remember last week, Coach. I think it was last week that we, we had, a, I think Billy was a question from a fan, a USC fan in Pennsylvania, and you made some kind of joke about, I didn't know there was any Trojan fans in Pennsylvania. Um, but Jake wrote in and said, my marathon dad, my marathon running dad is a USC 262, has that on his Pennsylvania license plate. His basement looks like a bookstore. I honestly think there is no bigger fan. By the way, he's running the 136th Boston Marathon on Monday, which is today, representing the USC marathon team. So, Jake, want to let you know there are some big USC fans out there in Pennsylvania. You know, uh, you sent me that email. I emailed him back. And uh, talked to him about. It. I told him I'm just kidding. I know the this you know this SC fans worldwide, and you won't believe this, Ryan. I I do a show uh, once a month in Pasadena at a restaurant, and Jay came. Jay came to the show. Uh, when I emailed him, I told him where we were going to be. So Jay came in, and Jake, if you're listening, I want to tell you thank you very much for coming. I didn't have you sat pretty close to me, but there were so many people there. I didn't have a chance to talk to you much, but uh, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad you're listening. Keep listening, and come by the next time. All right, and we do appreciate all the uh, the fans writing in and, and supporting the show, and I know at the spring game, Coach, you get people come up to you and say, I listen to you on the podcast, and uh, I really enjoy it. We had a, a dinner on Friday night at the Del Rey in, uh, in Pico Rivera, and a lot of people there, people listen to the podcast, and they love the show. We've been doing it for over three years now, 217 episodes, I guess, as it is. And, you know, people enjoy it. And lately we've had, we got a few female callers come in. So I said, I want to send you a free T-shirt for any of the female callers that we play uh, on the air. We have a, a, a female uh, question coming up later on the show as well. But we had this question and coming about the shirts we were talking about. So I wanted to play that. Hi, my name is Brett, and I was curious about the T-shirt, uh, R75 can be year 85. Uh, I looked all over online, couldn't find it. I heard you guys mention it on the podcast. I want to know how I can get mine. I, I would definitely like to have that arrogant T-shirt that uh, our winning justifies our arrogance. Anyhow, thank you very much. Ryan, tell him how he can get one. Yeah, and I got to give you one of those shirts too. So the the shirts are it's you know we we're talking about it on the Peristyle a while back, and I printed up the shirts, and we've been I think we've sold about five hundred of them so far. It's pretty ridiculous. People have loved them, but they're they say R seventy five are better than your eighty five, and the website on there is R seventy five are better than your eighty five dot com. So that's where you can find them, and you can order the shirts there. It's uh, fifteen dollars, and that and we'll ship them to you for free. So. Um, check them out, and it's yeah, it's basically referring to USC only has 75 scholarship players. All the other teams have 85 scholarship players. Our 75 are better than your 85, and uh, you know, winning 10 games last year, uh, you know, setting up to do even better than that this year, it would be pretty, pretty crazy, Coach, if USC could run the table with only 75 players on scholarship and beat everyone on their schedule. You know, I saw some of those T-shirts on Saturday. I didn't know that's what it was. That's what it says. That came from you, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll get you one, Coach. You know, just tell me your size. I'll bring you one. 
Well, uh, should I do it on the air? Double X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, they're fun. I mean, we we talked about different ideas on the, the peristyle of, of T-shirts, and this one came up, and we're like, we got to do this one. And uh, I would, I took my little brother to, I think it was, I don't know, it was a spring game last year, or, was, or no, maybe it was like a fall camp when they had one of their games. And my little brother had the R75 or better than your 85 shirts on. I think, no, it was actually just a regular football game last year. And we ran into J.K. McKay and Pat Hayden, and they loved them. They're like, oh, those are great. I mean, I don't think they could officially endorse something like that, but they they really enjoyed the shirts and thought it was funny. And we ran into coaches and everybody, and everyone seemed to enjoy that. And I think this year they'll be pretty big, just because every team that USC trots out in the field against will have eighty-five scholarship players, and USC will only have seventy-five. Right, and I tell you, it's going to be exciting. Your segments with Gerard Martinez and Dan about. A couple of the commits, a uh, big commit this past Saturday. I don't want to get into that because that's not my area. But uh, I tell you, recruiting's going well. It's going really well. And we're gonna, we have a lot of recruiting questions this week. We're, we're, we have Dan Weber coming up next. We'll do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast either on Tuesday or Wednesday. So check back in on peristylepodcast.com because there are a lot of recruiting questions. Uh, USC just started making, as soon as spring practice ends, Coach, USC started making the phone calls and the coaches are out there on the recruiting trail. So there wasn't really any time for any time off, I guess you could say for the USC coaches right now. I agree. And I don't know how many people attended the uh, spring uh, game or the Trojan huddle on Saturday, but if you looked across, if you, if you remember looking across to the other side of the stadium, those were all recruits sitting up there. And Ryan, I would have to guess there looked like there was almost a hundred. Would you say? Yeah, there was quite a bit, and they were actually standing in the closed end of the Coliseum end zone when fans were allowed to come on the field and get autographs after the game, which I thought was interesting because, that, I mean, with the sanctions, USC has to separate recruits from not only fans but also the media. But then during that period at the end, there was kind of like some intermixing going on, and I don't know I mean, if that was by design or whatever. But, yeah, you could get a, a good look at some of the guys. There was a lot of guys from the class of – 2012 coming in too, like you know uh, Jabari Ruffin, the linebacker from from Downey, or Gerald Bowman, the the JC defensive back. A bunch of those guys. Nelson Aguilar, we we talked about, he was there as well. So uh, a lot of the guys that will be coming in in the next couple of months were actually there at the spring game watching. It was great to see everybody out there too, and uh, the kids really like it when they look at the stands and they see the support. And uh, I had a great time there. It was really an enjoyable day. It turned out from a day that looked like it might rain really into a pleasant afternoon didn't it yeah beautiful out there i think all the fans enjoyed it the most most people i've seen at a usc spring game before so i think it was great and i'm glad we could uh get all your insights coach on the spring game and now we'll be looking forward to other new topics lots of questions i'm sure will be coming in we'll be talking about all that stuff during this off season well ryan again i want to thank you i want to thank all of our listeners for uh listening I want to thank all the parents that listen because uh, you're very interested in your kids, and, and, and I just want to say that everything we say about them is done in a positive note, that we uh, love them as much as you do. We just want them to be successful, stay safe, graduate from college, and enjoy a great Trojan uh, experience. So, uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Coach. Thanks again uh, for coming on the show, and everyone else will be back in 30 seconds. We've got Dan Weber on the line talking USC football more on the USC Spring Scrimmage. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, enjoying the uh, little we're – get, we're going to get a little bit of a um, take on the spring from Lane this afternoon. So 
and I know the coaches are out busy recruiting and haven't taken a haven't taken any kind of a break after uh, spring ball, but yeah, kind of you know some interesting things to look at and talk about uh, you know in the spring game. I thought they kind of made the most of you know what what they had to deal with in, in terms of the spring game, and you know, we saw some things that uh, kind of of interest. I just think the thing we're seeing is a more mature USC program where <clears throat> they can make the best of however, you know, whatever comes along. And then if you start comparing it to the last couple of spring games, uh, much in much, much better shape, even with, uh, you know, even with some injuries and some numbers uh, issues and all that. I uh, thought, uh, thought they got out of, uh, out of the spring game what, what you want to get out of it and no real injuries, and that's even better. All right. Um, well, let's see. I wanted to get a couple thoughts from you on the spring game before we get to some of the questions. Uh, one, I, I guess, would be Matt Barkley wasn't expected to play all that much. Uh, he ended up throwing, I think, 39 passes or something in the game. Was that kind of a surprise for you? Yeah, you know, I think a little bit. But I think uh, uh, I think once they decided they weren't going to do any tackling, uh, and I think it was as much a case of uh, – with the uh, receivers as well, uh, you know, w- with the numbers in the receivers, they didn't want to take any chances of guys really taking uh, taking some shots. And uh, I think, and I think it's been underplayed, but that win- the win was just awful. And uh, I think it was really uh, uh, asking a lot, you know, for him to throw the ball. Uh, you know, as much as he did, and I think he, you know, handled it pretty well, having not really thrown the ball all that much this spring, and, and uh, I thought he, uh, you know, did a pretty good job. I think some of the deep balls, and they've really worked on the deep stuff. You almost couldn't throw them, certainly in one direction, although the wind, the way it was swirling, it was actually going in both directions at the end of the field. I mean, at one, one end of the field, it was going one way, and the other end of the field, if you looked at the flags, it was going the other way, and it made it really difficult to have any sort of – touch on the on the long balls and if you threw it into the wind which a couple of times you know you thought wow that's really underthrown it really wasn't the wind just basically took took a couple of those deep balls uh you know basically took them down to the ground and uh so it was uh i thought he uh, you know handled that i mean if that were for example if that would have been a normal game a lot of that you know they wouldn't have run some of those plays and i think they just went ahead and said well you know, for the receiver's sake and getting a chance to see uh, each of the receivers adjust, for example, adjust to defenders and see if they could get on the same, uh, you know, kind of wavelength with uh, with Matt, the way, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Matt and, uh, and Robert Woods are on that kind of same wavelength where they just know what the other one is thinking and where he's going. And you don't see that yet. You know, Marquis Lee is obviously a lot closer, but – that's the thing that, say, a Devon Flournoy and a uh, Victor Blackwell really have to work on. And you could tell on, on some of the plays that where Matt thought they were going and where they went uh, were two completely different things. And, and so I think that's what, you, you know, they have to run those plays. They have to, you know, see how they, they react and then talk about it uh, and, and, and understand. And that's, I think, a real important part of the development of those next, uh, group of uh, wide receivers. All right. Uh, well, let's get to some of these questions, Dan. We do have a bunch of them on the spring game. A lot of people got to go out and see it. It was to me, Dan. It looked like there was more people than I that I remember ever seeing at a, a spring game. I think they announced a fifteen thousand person yeah, crowd. Yeah, I, so. I think more people thought it was closer to that twenty thousand number. Whether that's an absolute accurate, you know, count or. Or what? It, it's, they certainly were filled up to the top, uh, which uh, you don't always see. And uh, uh, I, I would have guessed it if you'd asked me. I would have said closer to twenty thousand as a as a uh, crowd estimator. And I'm usually uh, actually pretty good at something like that. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't know. But it was a nice crowd. It, it turned out to be a uh, a nice crowd, and uh, I think they had a good time. All right. Well, let's get to some of these questions. Here's our first one. This one is uh, from Kyle. Here you go. 
Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kyle from beautiful Bend, Oregon. Uh, first off, Ryan, I just want to say really appreciate the show. Uh, keeps us uh, informed that aren't down in uh, Southern California. I also want to say thanks to Coach Hyde, Weber, and Gerard, uh, as well as keeping us informed. But a uh, quick question for you. Uh, you know, I know we're lacking in the running back department, but uh, what about Soma uh, getting more looks as a running back? I know he's more fullback, but he seems like he's more than capable, that big back figure that we're looking for. Um, anyways, guys, I just want to get your thoughts on that, and uh, thanks again. appreciate the show. Yeah, I think it's a good observation by, uh, by Kyle and uh, lovely uh, Bend, Oregon, uh, uh, a great place to be, uh, much of the time anyway. Uh, uh, I think we noticed that last week, that, and, and actually said that that you know the next thing we're going to see is Soma's going to get some chances. And, and what people forget is that you know as much as he was ranked as the number one fullback in the country in high school coming out of Eureka, he really was a running back. And you know he was a 2,000 plus yards uh, gained uh, running back. And actually, uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise whatever he does in running back. I mean he's a, a sub four six guy at 250 to 255 pounds with uh with good hands he's kind of like a big family Havili. i mean he's got a lot of that same flexibility and the soft hands he certainly catches the ball as he showed uh uh i mean that, actually the thing that's held him back was he didn't get a chance to do enough blocking in high school because he was carrying the ball and uh so you know you bring a kid like that with uh, a pretty explosive and big body and you want him to block, but that's the least thing he's done uh, as a player. But uh, uh, watching him, you know, get more chances to carry the ball, whether it's from fullback or uh, a couple of times the last week they've lined him up at, as the tailback and, and had him run the ball, uh, that's not a big surprise. So, uh, you know, that, that, that won't surprise anybody. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Buck Allen – once he gets healthy, uh, <clears throat> he hasn't done anything to make you think he couldn't also be not the say a classic big back. You know, he's, he's probably a little over six one, and uh, you know, I, I would guess he'll play in the fall at about two hundred and fifteen pounds or so. Uh, so he's big enough and strong enough, and, and, and runs smoothly. Just kind of a a gliding sort of a guy with some you know with some real power. So with the uh, with the two, you know, smaller backs that, that, that run hard, and uh, and Curtis McNeil, and DJ Morgan, and and you're seeing Morgan more and more being used to just blast up inside the tackles, uh, and hoping he can break one as he did Saturday. Uh, I I don't think I'm I'm probably on the same page with a lot of people who think that that's a problem area, or that's an area where they uh, where you could really describe it as thin. And if you throw Nelson Aguilar in there which I think without a doubt he is now in the mix as a wildcat, uh, which is probably a great way to start him, uh, you know, kind of a multi-talented uh, guy that plays well in space, athletic, good hands, basketball player, uh, kind of a leader. Uh, you put him in there, and then you've got, a, you know, you've got five deep uh, at, you know, guys who can actually, you know, play tailback. Well, that's not bad, and, and they're pretty good athletes. Uh, so, uh uh, I, I think the running back situation is in far better shape than kind of the general uh, sense of it is. But Soma makes it uh, makes that the, you know that's the case because Soma is another you know good athlete who uh, who can make that that kind of move. And uh, as we saw with Trey Madden, if you have enough of those athletes in your program, there are things you can do with them. And uh, uh, I think Soma's the next one we're going to see uh, uh, get a chance to do some of that. All right. Uh, let's go to – thanks for that one, Kyle. Uh, that Jeremy and uh, Honolulu had a couple questions. First one was he wanted an update on Josh Shaw. I think he sent that in before the news broke last week, Dan, where Josh Shaw was now cleared. He, he did get his hardship waiver. Yes, he did, and that's, uh, that's a real plus. Almost more for Josh Shaw. Because uh, had he not gone, that he would have lost that year. He would have had only two more years to compete because he had to use his redshirt freshman uh, year with uh, a knee injury. So uh, that was a really <clears throat> uh, personal decision, I think, of, of, uh, where it was fair. It took three months and it took extra 
back and forth. And it probably shouldn't have taken that because if, <laughs> if he's not the definition of a hardship with his family situation, there isn't one. Uh, and it probably should have gone as fast as the Amir Carlisle uh, hardship waiver uh, went at Notre Dame. But, you know, it, it, it ended up in the right place. And, uh, and we're all, I think everybody's just happy for Josh. You know, here's a kid that's spending his weekends uh, doing his dad's, uh, you know, uh, yard business, uh, you know, just taking on jobs and uh, doing the ones that his dad's getting his knees re- knee replacement uh, can't do. Uh, terrific, uh, you know, job by, uh, by Josh Shaw. It just makes you feel good about him. And he's also going to Haiti with the uh, – with the football players, with the Matt Barkley, uh, Barkley family, uh, Haiti trip. So, uh, uh, he is certainly deserving. And I think, you know, he brings a six, one, 200 pound kid who can play, uh, uh, safety or cornerback athletic enough to play corner, big enough to play safety. And it will probably be a real factor on special teams. So, uh, it's good for USC, but even better, uh, for Josh Shaw. All right. Uh, Jeremy had, uh, all the way from Honolulu, had a couple other questions. One is, he said, does it appear Isaiah Wiley has a number two cornerback slot on lockdown or someone like Anthony Brown nipping at his heels? And he also wanted to know how the offensive tackles did uh, during the game on Saturday. He couldn't watch because obviously he's in Hawaii, but wanted to get your thoughts on those two topics. Well, I think uh, uh, Isaiah Wiley, you know, you almost, I don't know that lockdown is the word, but I think he's really performing well because, uh, I mean, he got so many opportunities, both, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, you know, playing the pass and playing Marquise Lee and playing the ball in the air and then, and then tackling. But that doesn't say that Anthony Brown not playing well. Anthony Brown is, uh, is really playing well. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty good situation uh, at cornerback uh, when you see – you know, I mean, Anthony Brown was a starter last year. You know, I mean, the luxury is, and, and Torin Harris, who they expect to be ready to go in the fall, <clears throat> they have three starters at that position, actually. I mean, all three of those guys started last year. And uh, I think, you know, we've, we haven't seen any place where the uh, competitive situation on this team has, has uh, uh, you know, demonstrated itself as, as – as, as it has in the secondary. I mean, there are just more, I mean, there may be more kids in the secondary who can play right now than at any time that I've, you know, 12 years covering USC. I don't think we've ever seen this many uh, athletes in the secondary. So yeah. uh, Pete Carroll was uh, notorious for having uh, thin secondaries. Say, I'm sorry, say that again. Pete Carroll was notorious having like good guys in the secondary, but they were always really thin. The depth chart was always kind of weak for well, and, and they didn't they didn't attack all the time. I mean, they almost were able to play that way because they did play soft. I remember Terrell Thomas talking about how he was <laughs> he, he counted up the number of times he got to play a man in his senior season because he knew how important that was to be able to have it on film. And he, when he got to ten, and it basically he played it about ten times once, you know, not quite once a game. Uh, he said, "I think I'm okay now. I got ten. I got ten on film, so uh, I think that'll be enough for the NFL. And you know, so maybe you know one of the the ways you did you know preserve a thin secondary was you played soft and you played uh, you know bend don't break and and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I think the, it's so much of an opposite uh, theory. Marvin Sanders, I think you know really believes in coming up and being athletic and pressing people." And uh, with the depth that they've got and the athletes they've got and the experience that they've got, I think it's, it's going to be a, a whole different look. And they're going to have to play more players. So I think it really works out well that, that they've got more players. And uh, the, the back and forth, I think, you know, for example, Matt Barkley, I think, is thrilled when you talk to him that he's going to be challenged in practice every day, that he's got to throw the ball right on the money because they are basically – uh, 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 defending every pass. They're attacking every pass. They're trying to get their hands on every pass that's thrown. I mean, you just don't see many. I mean, there may be, you know, a breakdown here or there, a guy runs a just absolutely great pattern, but they're not conceding anything at this point. And, uh, and you really, you, you got to like the way that looks. So I think, you know, there'll be room for Isaiah Wiley and Anthony Brown and Torrin Harris. I think there's going to be room for and Josh Shaw. Uh, I think there'll be room for all of them. 
And what about the uh, offensive tackles? Offensive tackles, I think, were, uh, again, that's one of those ones where you, you say we want to see the film. But I think they, they were uh, some good things and some, uh, you know, things they've got to work on. I think the, the matchup uh, against two speed rushers, basically, with Wes Horton, and you've got two big athletic uh, and Devon Kennard, uh, you've got two guys that can really give you problems. Uh, and most teams aren't going to have probably two uh, as athletic and experienced defensive ends as USC has. So that's actually a good thing. But, uh, but there were times where, and, and whether it was a physical thing or an assignment thing, where you did see uh, some guys running, uh, some defensive ends kind of running free. Uh, now they only got three sacks, so it wasn't like, you know, uh, giant breakdowns, and I think some of that is due to Barkley's uh, ability to really uh, uh, feel the pressure. And uh, uh, like uh, both uh, Cody Kessler and uh, and Max Wittick are showing some pretty good escapability in the pocket uh, if they uh, if they need to. But uh, but I think it's an area that they're going to be working on, you know, all year long. And in, in terms of uh, are they going to have to give uh, give more help to those guys if they've got a, 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 a speed rusher. I think they, they figured out some interesting ways that they're going to give the defense or the offensive tackle some, uh, some help. And it won't just be with a, an H back like uh, Red Ellison who, uh, you know, instead of running a pattern, uh, uh, breaks it off, you know, and goes in motion, breaks it off and, and helps block or with the fullback. Uh, I think the uh, tailbacks are picking up. Uh, I think that's an area where they've improved uh, pretty dramatically in Curtis McNeil and D.J. Morgan in terms of their blocking assignments. But but I think that's an area they're going to work, be working on all year long. Little, little dog problem? You okay, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have uh, some. I think the mailman just came to the door with the package, <laughs> and I, I apologize that my doggies uh, make sure that uh, – they, uh, no one gets to the house for, uh, <laughs> uh, nobody gets to our house without uh, having to identify themselves. Uh, All right. Um, well, let's go, let's see, we're going to, we have another question. This one's on, uh, it's, I thought this was interesting, Dan. This was on the, uh, play calling. Here we go. Hi, Ryan. This is Effie from Salinas, California. I have a question regarding uh, play calling for next year. Is uh, T. Martin going to be uh, doing the play calling or any other coach to try to uh, uh, relieve Lane Kiffin of having to do both the play calling and head coaching jobs at the game? I know I've heard critiques in the past that having uh, Coach Kiffin do all the play calling um, makes it more difficult for him to coach. Thanks a lot, and I love your podcast. That's a great question from Salinas. Uh, uh, I will say this. I think it's going to be evolving, and I think they had, you know, pretty much for the the spring game, uh, pretty much a uh, kind of a set. This is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So, uh, even though the quarterbacks had their wristbands on and they uh, were able to change plays at the line of scrimmage and they uh, didn't have the coaches in the huddle, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's a good question, and I don't think we know the complete answer to how that's going to end up in terms of, uh, you know, Lane. I think Lane will never give that responsibility up, but it will be interesting to see how that evolves in terms of uh, – more toward uh, Lane, you know, uh, more of a game manager, personnel manager, uh, overseer, head coach guy, uh, and how much is that hands-on, play-by-play calling. I think the other thing that's going to affect that is with Matt Barkley, uh, you know, assuming more and more of the uh, Andrew Luck kind of uh, calling the plays at the line of scrimmage, and seeing how teams are defending you uh, out, out of the huddle, uh, I think that's going to happen more. So I think that alone is going to free lane up more. But I, I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to be uh, to, for us all to be watching as to how that develops. And I'm not sure Lane's absolutely going to tell us exactly how that's, how that's all going to work. But I, I think there will be some changes in, in, in emphasis 
and uh, and uh, play by play, you know how they're going to do certain things. But I think even we saw that at the end of last year, where Lane was able to be more of the head coach on the sideline and maybe not quite as much the uh, uh, every play play caller guy who had to be focused in on his play chart and all that. But uh, that's uh, probably as interesting a, a thing to watch as, as this goes on through. Uh, through uh, uh, August practice as to how that exactly develops because they got to come out of the gate fairly quickly. Uh, you know, by game three, they're, they're at Stanford and, uh, you know, it, it pretty much has to, has to be ready, you know, exactly how you're going to do things. You, you pretty much have to be there by, uh, by game three. For sure, Dan. And uh, they have to avoid the kind of letdown they had early in the year with the Arizona state team and, you know, you're playing a team that's Stanford that's obviously, you know, very talented. And even though they're losing Andrew Luck, that's going to be a tough early test for this team. It could be, uh, it really, that, that game could set this team off in two different directions and not playing at, at your best. You don't have to be midseason form, but just the way the team played last year early on was, it was a little rough early on. And then they, they kind of got better as the, the year went on. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the other thing we have to think about is that this team, you know, I know people say, well, they can't pick up right where they left off last year. But, you know, that's the idea. You want to be all the things that you learn the second half of the season and, and every, you know, every part of the game. Uh, you basically want to be starting there. I mean, you're, you're not going back and rediscovering yourself as they did last year, for example. Think back to those early games when they were, you know, a five-yard pass downfield was like, wow, that's uh, <laughs> taking a chance, you know. And then all of a sudden they – you know, as the, as the season goes on, they realize, wow, this is what we've got, you know, with these two wide receivers in tandem and how teams are having, you know, as much trouble defending them. And then what do you do with the tight end if they, uh, you know, over overcover those guys and, and, and all the things that they learned and with Matt throwing the deep ball, you know, with him, a lot of that was just getting a chance to do it, you know, again and again and again. So I think they're already in a place, you know, where they finished up last year. I don't think it's wrong, you know, to say uh, they're going to pretty much start where they finished and knowing what they knew. But uh, obviously the Stanford game, they owe Stanford, uh, you know, for one embarrassment and two games that, you know, they're still shaking their head. I heard uh, an ESPN draft analyst was talking about the great, great uh, quality that Andrew Luck brings. As uh, He said, the thing that makes me think so much about Andrew Luck's uh, uh, you know, skill set is two straight years. They were down in the final two minutes to USC, and two straight years, Andrew Luck brought them to victory. And when you think about the circumstances in both of those games, <laughs> uh, and you think about, here's Matt Barkley, very probably should have had one or both of those games in his victory column. And what, you know, here's a kid that thanks to, you know, Pac-12 absolute, you know, inability to have, you know, officials competent to call the game, or even worse, uh, he's got two losses in those two games to Andrew Luck. He didn't deserve to lose either game. Uh, and so it's that kind of thing that's going to play in, I think, in September, where a kid like, you know, Matt Barkley, you could just say, look at what he did against Andrew Luck two straight years, basically. <laughs> led USC to, to what could, could have and should have been uh, two straight victories over Andrew Luck. So I, I think those are the kind of things, you know, you kind of bang your head about uh, thinking uh, how both of those games went at the very end and uh, how it probably wasn't very fair uh, to the performances, both of those games by Matt Barkley. Yeah, and that's part of the unfinished business Matt Barkley was talking about. Um, Serious unfinished yeah. <laughs> business. Ter Terry in Los Angeles had a question. He was, I want to know what the deal is with Christian Thomas and Christian Hayward. He says, I've heard their names numerous times, but it's always injury or something like that attached to it. Are those two ever going to step up and get on the field? I've never seen two kids that stay on the injury reports and much and never play. At some point, I would think they have to get out there and compete. They're taking valuable scholarships from other kids who do what it takes to be out there. We need guys that are fighters. Don't mean to question their mettle, but... Uh, we need everyone on board with these NCAA restrictions. What is your take? I think your take is way, 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 way too harsh and too judgmental. Christian had uh, 
fairly serious uh, uh, hip sur- that hip cartilage surgery, which uh, normally, uh, as I say, as recently as about two years ago, was a year rehab. Uh, he had it uh, had it done early last year in the season. Uh, tried to play. He played, for example, if you noticed, he did play hurt uh, and 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 uh, made some contributions early last uh, in September on special teams, even though he was playing with a great deal of pain. Uh, I think his was one of the more severe uh, versions of that uh, that hip cartilage uh, that they have to go in and really clean out the you know, the socket and, and get all those, uh, you know, all the rough edges uh, uh, smoothed out so you're not playing in, in constant pain. And uh, he tried to come back early, really early in the, in the, in the spring. Uh, so, uh, uh, and, you know, good for him. I mean, I think that was a, a, a terrific effort. I think he would have been the earliest one. And, yes, he's had, a, you know, half a dozen of those in the past four or five years from Alan Bradford on on up uh, in just, you know, the last, uh, say, three years, actually. And uh, he tried to come back, I think, sooner than anybody could, uh, has. And uh, I think maybe pushed himself a little a little too hard and a little too far, and they've decided, you know, let's, uh, you know you'll be ready in the summer. Don't push it. Don't make it any worse. So uh, uh, I wouldn't, uh, would not at all, uh, you know, come after uh, you know Christian I think he was uh, he just did a you know uh, a yeoman's job trying to come back and trying to trying to be healthy and uh, that's a that's a tough injury it's a long rehab and it's uh, it's painful as heck so uh, and he was out there early in the spring and really pushing himself uh, as far as Christian we're not as sure uh, exactly what the issue uh is uh, with his uh, with his back, uh, and I think you know. Again, they're they're playing it safe. Uh, I know he would like to be out there, obviously, uh, and because uh, uh, there's a spot open. If you say that they've got three defensive tackle spots, kind of uh, you know, uh, with uh, George Yuko and Antoine Woods and J.R. Tavai, uh, and they're looking for uh, you know a double rotation at every spot on defense. Uh, there's that spot open, and you've got uh, Cody Temple, who was moved to uh, uh, defensive tackle, and I think he's got some really uh, good potential there, and he got injured. And then uh, uh, Christian Hayward just wasn't able really to go this uh, this spring. But uh, I think the decision to get him ready, get him healthy, give him enough time over the summer, and have him come back uh, full go in August is is the best solution. So, uh uh, I, I don't think we we didn't play anybody this spring, and as much as you know, people want to know uh, how they can play, and I, you know, I'm sure the coaches do, we do. Uh, I don't think it's the kind of thing where where uh, yeah, I, I will let the coaches challenge them. I'll let the coaches if they want to push uh, Buck Allen a little bit or push George Farmer a little bit. Uh, they're really meeting with them every day. They're meeting with the trainers. They're meeting with the doctors and all that. I'll let the coaches do that. But, uh, you know, I was even a trainer, a college trainer for a while and a high school football coach. And I really don't know enough to start pushing on these kids uh, uh, because I'm not privy to that information. And I think we ought to, if we come down on any side, we ought to come down on the side of, this kid's busting his tail to get back, and uh, until we have absolute first-hand knowledge that he's not, I wouldn't be very judgmental about any of these kids. All right, and then one last one, Dan. Uh, Andrew wanted to know: Will Nelson Aguilar be the next great tailback at Tailback U? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I, he may, he may be a, a hybrid kind of a player. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he's more of a. Uh, play in space guy. Uh, so starting with the uh, uh, with the, the, with the wildcat, and then starting with uh, maybe uh, uh, get the ball to him on uh, you know uh, some of the ways they got the ball. Let's say to Amir Carlisle last year, uh, catching the ball and screen passes and things like that. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure physically uh, that we see necessarily 
the kind of physique that you're thinking. I mean, you know, Reggie Bush didn't have that. <clears throat> as a, he was a great tailback, but he was a, an alternate tailback with uh, with Lendale White. So, uh, uh, you know, so maybe in that role, if you say sort of an alternate uh, play in space guy, maybe yes, uh, as a uh, as a classic uh, USC you know, historical tailback every down, you know, carry it 25 times a game. Uh, I don't, I don't see that, but, uh, as a, as a great player and a possible, you know, unbelievably valuable sort of a, uh, leader and, uh, with, uh, special skills in terms of, uh, open space and being able to convert the catch to the run, uh, and just sort of having that natural gift of, of creating space for himself. Uh, I think, uh, I think he can do that, and uh, he evidently can throw the ball. We haven't really seen that, but Lane said, uh, you know, when Trey Madden went down, that uh, that Nelson absolutely can throw the ball. And they basically said, you know, Nelson, you're our Wildcat. Uh, so that's a that's kind of a neat thing uh, for a kid coming in uh, to kind of be designated as as the man uh, for kind of an interesting uh, decision making. Uh, you're going to get the ball in your hands uh, spot uh, for a team that could be ranked number one. Uh, so uh, he's going to be special, I think. Uh, and he's got a quality, I think, a kind of a leadership about him and an ability to kind of rally kids around him that uh, that I think is special. I think they recognize that. And he's kind of a kid. I think he just really wants to be a USC football player, which is, again, uh, if you get a kid from Florida that – that really wants to do that, uh, you know, you think of, uh, of obviously Nick Roby and, you know, Mike Williams and maybe Leonard, Williams, you know, Leonard coming in, uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, they've, he's, he's been designated as special. And so I'll, I'm, I'm willing to go along with that. All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights. It was a fun uh, spring ball to cover. We'll talk to you down the road, obviously future podcasts out this summer, see how the team's doing. And, uh, check back with you then but thanks very much dan for coming on thank you ron enjoyed it as always all right Bye. everyone else thank you very much for tuning into the peristyle podcast we'll be back again next week with another show talking about the usc trojans you've been listening to the peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on trojan football and recruiting And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.